Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir and I like to talk about teaching. Whether it's stories and ideas from my own classrooms or lessons I've learned from other educators, I just love to explore ways to help students grow and thrive in school, but also for their educators to thrive as well. And so that's what this podcast is. Whatever you teach or however you serve in schools, how can you lead a more impactful, dynamic, meaningful, and epic classroom. All right, hello friends. Welcome back to the podcast. It has been a little bit. I think the last one I released was in early September. And so it's been, uh, gosh, we're going on two months since I've released a new episode. And I don't like that. I like getting to come into this little studio at the library in the little village where I live. And uh, they've got this little podcast studio. I love coming down here and sharing some ideas and thoughts. And, you know, I make a lot of videos and, and write blog posts and stuff like that. And those are great mediums to get to, get to connect and, and share ideas. But there's just something about the podcast where uh, there's a little bit more space and breathing room to dive into ideas and, and get to share what's spinning around in my brain and what I'm experiencing and what I'm seeing, what I'm learning. Um, podcast is a fun way to do that. And so I don't like that there's been this big gap. Uh, but the reality is I have been a little busy the last couple of months wrapping up a book that I'm working on. And I'm going to share what more about this book very, very soon. Uh, but I'm really, really excited about it. Me and my good friend, John Spencer, uh, we have been working on this book literally for years. Um, we had an idea back during the pandemic, if you remember that uh, little incident that happened starting in 2020. You know, during that time, we were just really trying to figure out what do we want to talk about as the world is pivoting and, and shifting and shaping and we're having to adapt and, and, and teaching still has things that we need to hold on to, but then also teaching needs to add more to the repertoire and get rid of some things and it's shifting and changing and, and the world is different. What kind of, what do we want to put out into the world in the midst of all this? Um, and so we came up with a book idea and uh, we started working on it and we've taken our time and really let it, you know, organically grow and, and write and develop. And uh, it finally got turned into our publisher last month. So we uh, we're publishing our book with Wiley, uh, specifically Josie Bass, who, you know, has published books like Teach Like a Champion. They do some really great big books in education and uh, we have the opportunity. We've been invited to publish with them. And so um, it's been a really fun process to go along the way of writing this book um, with, with a publisher like this. And then finally, uh, it will be released in June of next year. Um, but the first draft is turned in. We are, we are done with that piece of the, the experience of writing a book. And uh, the last couple months have been all consuming as we've you know been finishing up chapters and tying it all together and finding research to back up ideas and, and rewriting and writing and rewriting again and just doing all of that and now it's submitted and it's like a big exhale it's like all right we've just been inhaling for the last few months and now it's like okay now we can exhale and we can breathe a little bit and have a little bit more space to work on different projects and get to be in schools and do all that and so I feel really good right now it's, it feels a little bit lighter um, and one of the first things I've decided to do now that the book is finished or at least that first part now it's in, with editors and we'll have a lot more work along the way but now that we're at that part I was like all right now you got to go record a podcast um, and so I want to just record 
start a little podcast here. And, and uh, I want to talk about GPA because, you know, last week I released a video, just a little one minute thing talking, sharing a story that I'm about to share with you. And it's really resonated with people because um, I think uh, what I'm about to share, I think we all get it. We've all seen it. Maybe we've experienced it ourselves. Um, and uh, but you really can't dive into something very much in one minute. It's almost like a taste uh, of a bigger idea. And so I want to get into the bigger idea here. And that's talking about GPA. So I want to tell you a little story. Well, a little, I don't know if it's a, yeah, it's a story. So when I was in college, I went to Florida State University. I wasn't a big fan of school. I didn't put in a whole lot of effort. You know, I started off my college career at Florida State uh, as a, and by the way, if you're a football fan, you might notice that uh, my Florida State Seminoles are in the top four in college football right now. So keeping my fingers crossed about that. But anyway, I went to Florida State and uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I actually started off as a recreation and leisure major at Florida State. You heard that correctly. I was a recreation and leisure major until I went home during Thanksgiving uh, my freshman year and my grandfather, who was helping pay my tuition, so he was kind of a big piece of this, he asked me, he said, so what's your major, Trev? And I was like, oh, it's, uh, it's called rec and leisure. He said, no, it's not. What's your major? I said, no, it's, it's actually called recreation and leisure. And he looked at me nice and serious, and my grandpa said, no, it's not. What's your major? I'm like, okay, I guess I'm not allowed to have a recreation and leisure major. And so through a bunch of experiences, I eventually shifted it to an English degree because I've always been decent at reading and writing. And I thought, you know what, if this can get me through school, if, 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 I, you know, if I can write just well enough, if I can read just well enough to get the grades that are necessary to get me out of here, that's what I'll do. And you know what, English degree is respectable enough to my grandfather, so I'll go ahead and do that. And so that's why I became an English major, just because I always like reading and writing and that's, and that's literally it. I, it was just a way to get to the next level. And I look back and it's like, this was most of my life going into school, at least from middle all the way through high school. It was all about how can I do just enough to get by? How, how can I put in the minimal amount of effort and do and, and, and engage just enough to get the passing grade, to keep my parents off my back, to, to get to the next level and, and get a high enough GPA to get into college. And, and you know what? The GPA after high school was hardly even enough to get into college. That's a different story. But it, that's why when I finished my bachelor's degree, when, when I left Florida State, and I'm a little nervous to admit this to you as a teacher, I graduated with a 2.75 GPA, not really great, a C average through college. That was my bachelor's degree. So I graduated with a 2.75 GPA and, and, and it didn't look really great. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Like, it, it was just like, you know what? I just got to get to the next level. But then it, then it turns out like, well, what happens when you're done with school? What's the next level after that? And I was like, I don't know, but all I need to focus on is getting just enough to get out of here. And that's what I did. So I finished with a 2.75 GPA. But at the very, towards the very end of my senior year of college and my English major, I, was, um, I had the opportunity to become a, an, an English tutor for a student. I needed money and I saw an advertisement. Somebody was trying to find a tutor for their high school daughter and they were offering to pay $7.25 an hour. $7.25 an hour. I don't know about you, but that was some big money for this college kid. And so I took that job and I knew nothing about teaching or tutoring. I, di I didn't know anything about writing instruction. I just knew how to write myself, um, but I needed some money. And so I took this job 
And the first time I met with this student, I, I quickly saw why she needed a tutor. She was not very good at writing and she was struggling in classes and was getting poor grades and that's why her mother hired me. And so I didn't really know what to do to teach her, but I was like, well, here's what I do when I start writing. And so I showed her a few tips that I've kind of learned in my own life in writing. And I kind of showed those to her and I shared them with her and she started practicing them. And, and, and I started sharing other tips and I started taking what I knew about reading and writing and I was teaching it to this, to this high school student. And, and I noticed every single week her writing would improve. She was getting better at writing. And then I noticed as, as she was getting better at reading and writing, her, her grade was also improving. And I remember by the end of that semester, at the end of my college experience, uh, this student had got the very first B of her entire life in English class. And I remember the joy on her face when she saw uh, that she could do it. She was just more confident. She was carrying herself differently. And I remember her mother literally in tears on my very last day thanking me for helping her with 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 her English class I was like oh I'm, I'm happy to help and and she's like yeah but this is more than just English Trevor this is y her confidence is improving and I don't know I can't even put a price to that it's like, is it more than seven twenty-five an hour? But like, she, she was just elated by this. And I remember by the end of that experience, I was elated by it. I was like, holy smokes. I didn't know I could do this. I didn't know I could take what I'm decent at and teach somebody else how to do it. And I didn't know that, that when they got better at it, they would grow in confidence and have a better posture towards themselves and the world and school, that it would, that, that this would have an impact beyond just their English skills. I was, it was, it felt like a superpower on my part. And I remember sharing this with, with a mentor and he's like, well, Trevor, you could be a teacher, you know, I'm like, Pfft. No, thank you. Like, I don't really like school. Why would I want to continue to go to it? And, and, and I remember he shared with me, he's like, well, yeah, but surely you had some good moments in school. And I'm like, yeah, but they were pretty far, few and far between. And, and, and he started kind of just asking questions and drawing more out of me. And it's like, yeah, you know what? I did have some experiences in school that were deeply foundational. Heck, the reason I liked English so much is because I had a teacher like Mrs. Schwanier who taught me to read my writing out loud and Mrs. Reams who taught me how to write stories and, 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 and Mrs. Bandy who taught me craft and Mrs. Perry who taught me perfection and excellence. And it's like, oh, I guess I did have these teachers that really helped me do this. And I really can see the correlation between the success I would have in their classes and on their assignments and activities and how I felt about myself. And, and it was like the spark went off inside of me. And this was like the moment where I decided this is what I want to do with my life. I want to help other people find this type of success. And maybe I could even be good at it. And so this is at the very end of my senior year of college. As I was getting my English degree, I decided I wanted to use it to become a teacher. But I didn't have a teaching certificate. And so the very first thing I did when I graduated college is I went and got a job at a long-term care pharmacy, packing pills 40 hours a week. And it was the most boring job of my entire life, but it paid 11 25 an hour. And that was just enough to pay for me to go to school at night to get a master's degree 
to become an educator. And so that's what I did. I found myself working 40 hours a week during the day and then going to school full time at night and working my tail off and, 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 and working like I'd never done before. I was kind of a lazy kid growing up. Remember, I was a 2.75 GPA doing just enough to get by, but all of a sudden I was going to school. And, and then by the end of those two years when I, when I finished the teaching program, at a much smaller school, uh, as I was preparing to become a teacher, I graduated with a 4.0. So I'm wondering, two years prior than that, I, I graduated with a 2.75. And then I went through the teaching program, which was much more difficult, right? Like we, I, it was, it, it, it was difficult. I, I wrote longer papers. I sat through longer lectures. There was way higher expectations. You know, I wasn't at a huge university anymore with, with TAs, uh, teachers assistants who, who led classes and graded work. No, like my professors during my teaching program did it all. They taught it, they graded it, they assessed it, they observed, they, they, it was so much more rigorous. And I was working 40 hours a week during the day and I was newly married. And so I had all of this new responsibility and I was working my tail off and I would go to school at night and I was writing 20 page papers and I was doing all of this and expending effort like never before. And I graduated with a 4.0. So here's the question. Did I all of a sudden become smarter in that two-year span? Did my brain grow exponentially after I earned my bachelor's degree? Did, did all of a sudden I, I just had this higher propensity for learning and, and, and I was just better at, at absorbing information and just demonstrating it and, and showing up to assessments with, with a better at taking, was I a smarter human being from the age of 22 to 24? No. I don't think that's what it is at all. I don't think that's why my GPA rose. I don't think I became brilliant all of a sudden. I think, and this is, this is my assessment of it, and this is what I want to continue to dive into in this episode, but I think we need to continue to chew on this, is, is my GPA re reflection of my increasing knowledge, or is GPA really sometimes just a reflection of having purpose and a good reason to want to learn and engage and work hard, right? You know, was, 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 my, was my GPA in my bachelor's degree, is that because I wasn't capable of a 4.0? Or is it because I didn't really care about getting a 4.0? There wasn't enough reason for me to want to put in the effort that was necessary to do this. But then all of a sudden, I, I, I wanted to be teacher, right? Like I wanted this career. I had this experience that told me this is something you can be good at and you can build your life around and you can find joy in work and you can bring joy to others. You, this, this could be a life you want. And that was my fuel. That was my passion when I was getting my teaching degree. That was worth those 20 pa page papers. That was worth showing up to every class. That was worth the energy and expenditure that, that went into getting a 4.0. I don't think I'm brilliant. I don't think I've ever been a particularly smart student, but I was absolutely a motivated one, right? I was motivated to do well. And then when you juxtapose that with my high school and even middle school and my bachelor's degree experience, when you compare the two, it's like, oh yeah, I mean, it was still lots of work, but one of them had this passion fueling it and the other did not. And so I think we have to ask the question as educators, whether you are teaching early elementary or you teach higher ed all the way through, I think we have to ask the question, 
How do we make school more relevant for our students? How do we find ways to motivate them in ways that grades just are not capable of doing? Now, listen, lots of people are still motivated by getting good grades. That's fine, right? Like maybe you're one of them. Maybe you cared about doing your best and you wanted a grade to reflect that. Wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful. But there's lots and lots and lots of students who are not motivated by the same thing. And yet if you look at most of the, you know, the education landscape, so much of it is still centered around that GPA. And, and the truth is that GPA is not actually reflective of the whole child. It's not reflective of their knowledge capacity. And it's not even reflective of th- their potential work ethic. It's reflective of the way that they respond to this system. And to me, I responded to that system way more when I knew there was a good reason for it. I've shared this quote many times, but I'll just always continue to share it. A strong why allows us to withstand anyhow, right? Like if there's a good enough reason why we're doing something, we're gonna figure out how to get it done. And for me in this teaching program, when I went and got my master's, it was because I had a really strong reason why for being in the classroom. Now, when I'm saying, oh, we've got to make school relevant or we've got to make students want to be there and work hard and learn and engage, that isn't my way of saying we need to make school fun all the time. (laughs) Not at all, actually. A lot of my master's program was not fun, right? I wrote longer papers. Like, I I was scrutinized more heavily. Um, It it, it wasn't more fun. I I was in classes of 12 students rather than 200 most of the time. And so now all of a sudden, it's like, no, there's no way to, to, to just... I'll fly under the radar. You're going to have to put in your best effort. It was harder than my bachelor's degree. But now the work and sometimes the boredom and the tedious nature of school and the time commitment and the learning, all of it felt more relevant to me. And so maybe that's what we all can really get better at as educators. How do we make learning more relevant for our students? Relevant is the key word here. How do we help them understand that this work, this time is worth it. It's worth giving your energy to. Um, so I just want to give an example of this, and then I'll just leave you with that question. You know, I was once teaching a global studies class, which is, it's a cross-curricular of ELA and world history, and I had a unit that I had to teach my students based on content standards surrounded around war and, like, Middle Eastern conflict, I believe, is what it was. And so traditionally, when I have content standards like this, and, and this is how I would have taught this exact unit before... I did what I'm about to tell you about, I would have had them write informative essays about it. And the unit would be a mixture of direct instruction on my part and activities that they engage in to prepare for writing this essay, right? If you're thinking about the unit as an unfolding story, the climax would be the day that they submit their essay for it. And the grade on the essay would be that, like, that primary motivation for effort during the unit. Right? Like, hey, we are learning this. I'm teaching this to you. We're watching these crash course videos. You're having these discussions. You're engaging in my class so that you are ready for this essay and the test as well so that you can get a good grade on it so that it can help your GPA and you can move to the next level. Right? Does that sound familiar to you? So that's what I would have done. And, and of course, don't get me wrong, I would have hoped to still inspire my students with the content, right? I would still hope to tell them good stories that they would be into and find ways to get them thinking deeper about it. Of course, that's what we do as well. But their motivation primarily would be rooted in the GPA. That is often what school looks like. So that's how I would have done it. 
But one year I was doing this project and I wanted to add some relevancy to it. I wanted to make it a little bit more real. I wanted my students who didn't care about their GPA to still have a motivation for doing it. And I wanted my students who cared only about their GPA to learn to be motivated and work hard for things other than just personal benefit, other than just trying to do good enough to get to the next level and look good while you do it, right? Like I wanted it to be bigger than that. And so I did some brainstorming and uh, actually I want to tell you about a brainstorming tool. Oh, should I do it now? Now nah, I'll do it at the, mm, yeah, I better do it now. Uh, I, rec I uh, oh man, see this is what happens when you're telling a good story and then you want to take a side path, but it's like, no, you're in a story. All right, I'm going to make a note right now to tell you at the end of this episode about a new resource that I created last week that can really help you come up with sweet project ideas to, to add this type of relevancy. So I wasn't planning this, but I'm going to make a little note right here so I don't forget to tell you uh, about it because it is sweet and, and I'm getting really good feedback on how people are using it. So put a pin in that. Make sure you're staying around to the end of the episode. Um, so I wanted to add some relevancy to this project. And, and what I ended up doing is I asked the dean of education at a local college, which, by the way, was the same college I received my master's in. I, it could have been any college, but I had a little bit of a connection. And so I said, hey, I'll reach out to them. Um, and so I reached out to this local college and uh, I invited... Um, I, I, I invited the dean there to come and, and talk to my students. And I, and I had an idea for what I wanted her to do. And so I pitched it to her and she said, absolutely, I would love to do this. And so the dean of education at Aquinas College here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, the epicenter of the polar vortex, uh, the dean of education came into my class and she invited my students to prepare lesson plans based on these content standards, these content standards around Middle Eastern conflict and war. She said, I would like for you to create lesson plans for how you would want to be taught this type of material. And so she was really empowering them. She said, hey, I know how a lot of teachers would teach this, but how would you want to be taught about this? Would you want a simulation? Would you want a hands-on activity? Would you want it to be a discussion? Would you want it to be a video project? What, how would you want to be taught this material? And so she threw it out there to my students and she said, I would love to invite you at the end of this month to take your lesson plans and come to our school of education at Aquinas College. And I would love to invite you to, to present your lesson plans to our pre-service teachers. And the way she pitched it was these teachers in the next couple of years will be working in your schools. And, and so you might even have them as a teacher. And we want them to find out what students would like in school. How would they want to be taught? So we would really love for you to go and teach them a little bit about how kids respond, how students respond uh, to teachers nowadays, and maybe come up with some specific ideas. And since you're doing this unit, why don't you build them around these content standards? And so I don't know about you, but I, I have seen over and over high school students get really fired up about the idea of talking to college students. It's, it's kind of like when you take an elementary kid to the high school, they're, they think they're going to like meet like celebrities, like, oh my gosh, it's high schoolers. It's the same with college students. My students were nervous about this proposition, but they were also really excited to get to leave school for the day and go to Aquinas College and present their work to actual college students. And so that was going to be the climax for their learning. At the end of it all, we're going to go to this college and present to real people and hopefully impact their teaching careers. And so I said, all right, we have got to learn these content standards so that we can craft them into lessons. And I said, one of the best ways to collect this information and, and process it and learn how to teach it 
is to write an informative essay. So we're going to start this experience by writing informative essays so you can really have like, you know, an expository piece of writing to learn about it and you're going to be able to research it and make sure it's good. And then from there, we're going to convert it into lesson plans. And so for the next couple of weeks, we wrote essays and I did some direct instruction and I had them do discussion and I had them read books and it looked very much like a traditional classroom. It was the same type of learning experience they would have done anyway, except now the motivation for learning it wasn't just for them. It wasn't about the GPA. It, it was about serving these pre-service teachers. And then we took it and we converted them into lesson plans. And, and then at the end of it, we got on a bus that the college paid for because it's a win-win, right? Like they wanted my students to go and see the college to recruit. And it was a win for us because now there was this authentic audience and my students went and they, pres and they presented their work and it was beautiful and glorious. And I never forgot that experience. And it's so funny is, you know, I, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you, you know that like this is the type of learning I like to do is how can we make it authentic and relevant for students? And so we did some really, really sweet projects every year. And every year at the end of the, the year, I'd always say, at the end of the school year, I'd say, all right, what was your favorite project we did this year? And, you know, there was ones like interviewing World War II veterans. There was, you know, serving refugees in our community. There was shoe drives. There was a project where if my students collected enough shoes, I would do a polar plunge in front of them. I, I, like there was all of these big epic projects. And every year without fail, when I'd ask, what was your favorite project we did in my class? Every year it was the Aquinas one. The, the, the one where they had to write informative ex expository essays. And it's so funny because most of that project wasn't a hands-on learning experience. Most of it was researching and listening to my, my direct instruction and, and doing activities where they learned about this content and crafting it and research skills and, and doing, you know, credible source research and, and, and this stuff that they were going to do in any social studies, any ELA class. And yet that was always their favorite. And, and I'm convinced the reason is because they were motivated by something bigger than themselves. Students know how they want to be taught. They know what kind of teaching and learning experience they respond to best. And so when they were empowered to get to go and deliver that and share it and hopefully shape somebody else's educational career, which is really s shaping their future student's career, that was motivating and they put in the work and that was why it was their favorite project. And so like that, that to me reminds me of why I got through my master's program so much better than my bachelor's is because there was a good reason for it. There was passion, it was bigger than myself. And that's the same with a project like this. Students are still doing hard work. They're still writing an essay. It's still difficult, but now there's a reason for doing difficult work. And that's at the heart of it. And so let me leave you with that question. How can we make work? How can we make learning? How can we make school more relevant for students so that if GPA is important, great, fine. Um, but so that GPA reflects their motivation rather than uh, their, their, the pressures they have to get good grades or, or whatever that is. So that's where we're at with that. Oh, I promised I would tell you about this resource. So last week, um, you know, th this last gosh, six months, I've been doing lots of work with teachers around AI and using ChatGPT to design really cool learning experiences and and one part of my my project-based learning workshops is you know teachers are designing projects alongside me and and then they get to go use those projects to engage their students and and do all the stuff that those projects can do and, and in the last six months i've been showing
showing them how to use ChatGPT to do this and figuring out what language do you put into the prompt generator to come up with really strong project ideas that are content rich and meet the needs of your students and your grade level. And uh, it's just been really, really neat to do. And so I was like, you know what, how about we create a resource where anybody can do this? So even if you're, you don't, you're not in a workshop with me, uh, you can still design really cool projects. And so I took the language that I've been using to teach teachers how to make projects and that I've been making projects myself. And I put them in a Google Doc and uh, there's just a few little spaces where you have to fill in personal information, like um, what class you teach or what content standards you want to cover. Um, and I prompt you along, but otherwise you can just copy and paste what I have in this document into ChatGPT. And I'm telling you folks, it will design an entire authentic, meaningful, relevant learning experience for you. And you will not believe what it can do, um, th this program. It is so cool. And uh, it's been really fun because I put this resource out last week and people have been getting a chance to use it and the feedback has been great people are so excited about the projects they're creating just like they've been in the workshops um, obviously in the workshops uh, I really help people figure out how do we learn to adapt it and shape it for your specific students um, but I think just even using this resource is a good place to start so anyway if you would like that I want to I will make a note to put the link it's free I just I wanted to put it out there for the world um, so I will put the link for you to get it for free in the show notes for this podcast so feel free to get it there you can also get it on my website at uh, trevormuir.com I think it's just slash chat GPT um, I'm not sure See, this is what happens when you're not completely prepared for your podcast but I will put it in the show notes for this um, but uh, I think you will really like it, um, especially if you want to design projects like the one I just described. Um, so go and check it out. Uh, it's on there. It is free. And uh, yeah, and if you want to check out any of the other stuff that I create, I got lots of it. So go check out my website at trevormuir.com. Um, go check out some uh, past podcast episodes if you, if you haven't listened to them yet. And uh, if you like what you hear, if you like what you see, if you like these videos, please feel free to share it. Because um, that's the reason I do all this work, is uh, I just feel so deeply invested um, in the lives of teachers in schools, because I just realize, and I know it so deep down, how important the work that you do is, um, and I like to get to be a part of it. So, thanks for allowing me to be, and uh, yeah, it's good to be back in the podcast booth. I'm going to try to make another one next week and get back into the rhythm again, because this is fun uh, to get to talk to you for a bit. So, thanks everybody. My name is Trevor Muir, and this is the Epic Classroom Podcast. Have a great weekend.